Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the BICOM podcast. My name is Roni, and I am one of the BICOM team members here based in London. Today is Thursday, September 30th, and I'm delighted to have with me today Luke Akehurst. So, Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, as Thanks, Roni. It's a pleasure to be here. As just a brief introduction, Luke Akers is the director of We Believe in Israel, but is also an elected member of Labor's National Executive Committee. And it's that, and it's that role um, with the Labor Party, with their National Executive Committee, that um, we want to discuss with you today. So we know that you've just gotten back from Labor Party Conference. And I'm hoping that just right off the bat, you can give me your first impressions and your takeaways from what you saw, what you experienced. Um, and then perhaps we can get into a little more detail on some of the more specific um, significant takeaways. Okay, so I, I, I wanna talk about three areas. So the, the big political picture of the 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 change in uh, the politics of the party because that actually relates to um, to Israel indirectly uh, and then I want to talk about anti-Semitism and measures that were passed and then I want to talk about the specific debate about Israel so we start with the big picture this conference was a huge defeat for the political forces around Jeremy Corbyn they went into the conference being um, very bullish, talking about removing the general secretary of the party and how they were going to pass a rule change that would in, would mean that the party conference could restore the whip to in parliament to Jeremy Corbyn and that they were very bullish about the numbers of delegates on their side. Um, I don't understand that in it, it, with my... Um, hat on of being involved in an organization called labor to win uh i was quietly confident that um the the kind of moderate delegates had larger numbers and i don't know where momentum were getting their numbers from but that, that they they were wrong and over the course of the week that was proven so they failed dismally in getting rid of david evans the general secretary that relates to all of the anti-Semitism stuff because their main complaint is that they perceive that he is, quotes, purging uh, left-wingers when in fact, actually, it's that he's trying to remove people from the party that are proven anti-Semites or members of anti-Semitic organisations. Um, there was a series of rule changes passed which Keir Starmer took a big risk in bringing to the conference the risk... Paul, uh, came off uh, so he's made it more difficult for uh, grassroots activists to remove uh, MPs he has changed the rules for how many motions can be debated at conference so it goes down from 20 to 12 which if as many people voted for the Israel one next year as this year it wouldn't reach the conference floor anymore there's a more reasonable number of motions so things that are more esoteric don't get there um and it's changed the leadership rules so in a if if, if kia retired um then the new leader would need 20 percent support in the plp which 
is probably out of reach of candidates from the Corbynite left. So you wouldn't get an MP that didn't have support in the Parliamentary Labour Party. And he has removed the registered supporters, which is where you could pay £3 to vote in a kind of primary election. And he has made it so you have to be a long-standing member of over six months to have a vote for leader. So everything that happened in 2015 uh, that put Jeremy Corbyn in as leader cannot happen under these new rules. He wouldn't have got the nom- the, the um, right number of nominations and he wouldn't have had the three pound registered supporters and he wouldn't have had all the new members. So this is important, contextually important um, it, because the, the, the main thing that's likely to lead to a very hostile positioning on Israel is if someone with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership got in again and that has been made more difficult perhaps one would hope impossible but we thought it was impossible before 2015 so I don't want to get complacent um and then Keir Starmer really with his speech yesterday um he uh was confronted from the floor by hecklers who were from the same bit of the left who uh have um claimed that anti-semitism was a scam and uh, you know, are very hostile to Israel. In fact, the people that were holding up red cards while they were heckling him, those cards were distributed by an organisation called Labour Against the Witch Hunt, which exists to try to stop people being expelled for anti-Semitism. Um, and he saw them off. And in fact, they made it a far more impressive speech for the public than it would have been. Moving swiftly on to the actual core business of dealing with anti-Semitism, um, there was uh, th- th- there were rule changes required by the Equality and Human Rights Commission to bring in an independent disciplinary process uh, for tackling anti-Semitism. That's part of the action plan after they found gu- Labour guilty of um, uh, uh, of discriminating uh, and harassing and victimising its Jewish members. Those were passed overwhelmingly by a seventy four percent margin, uh, but it was quite telling that whereas under John Landsman previous leader of the Momentum Corbynite faction. He had he was Jewish and had tried to educate the organisation about the problem of left-wing anti-Semitism. The new set of people running it um, care so little about seriously tackling anti-Semitism, they actually instructed delegates who were taking a whip from them to vote against rule changes that the, the UK's Equalities Watchdog had instructed the Labour Party to make. So that was quite shocking, but it was a big win and very important. Um, as a result of that win, uh, Louise Elman, the former MP for R- Liverpool Riverside, former chair of Labour Friends of Israel, who had quit the party over anti-Semitism on the eve of the 29 general election, she rejoined and was there on conference floor and welcomed back in by Keir. Less good news, the votes on, on Israel. So actually there, was, there were more than one vote so there was a debate where there was a uh, so first off it, 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 it was it, it, a debate about Israel and the Palestinians crept onto the conference agenda in quite a low placing in the priority ballot but um, it was you know maybe 10,000 votes off of not being debated at all in a vote of where 400,000 votes are cast but it got on there and it's very difficult to stop a motion going through once once it's on the agenda. People assume 
oh, there'll be speeches for and against and the, a lot of detailed examination of the text. That doesn't really happen. Um, there's an inbuilt bias in the system that helps whoever the motion has come from because they get a moving and a seconding speech and then the debate isn't balanced. It's, it's you, you've got an automatic head start from uh, and you get a lot longer to speak when you propose the motion. So you can make quite a, yeah, you make a big noise about what you're putting forward. And there's a kind of tendency amongst delegates to just vote in favour of everything. It's like, oh, someone's got an idea. I'll vote in favour of it. Um, the best way to illustrate how strange that is, on the Green New Deal motions, there were two contradictory positions, one of which had a far slower, more realistic transition to zero carbon and had nuclear power in it. And they both got passed, even though they contradicted each other, because everyone just, oh, they've got an idea. I'll vote for it. So um, the debate on conference floor... Uh, that didn't feature all the flag waving of the, the the party banned people from bringing Palestinian flags or any other kind of flag onto conference floor. But there was, you know, land, Palestine solidarity campaign lanyards and face masks and T-shirts and stuff. But it wasn't the hostile vibe that there had been in the previous two times it was debated. Um, the motion itself has some really problematic language in it around apartheid and ongoing Nakba and sanctions. And the guy that moved it from Young Labour um, used language that was quite unpleasant as well, described Israel as settler colonialist and um, compared, uh, com compared support for Israel, or, or rather compared support for the Palestinians to support for the Republicans in the Spanish Civil War, the implication being that Israel is like the fascists. Um, this um, this is sort of delegitimizing de language. It's not actually necessarily an anti-Semitic, though you could argue there's a breach of the IRA definition around um, self-determination, but it's definitely delegitimizing the state of Israel. Um, that motion passed quite easily. Uh, the major unions, there was some doubt about which way the GMB union would go, but they all voted for it. So it, it went through pretty easily. But then what most people didn't notice, there were two other votes on a thing called a reference back, which is people questioning the text of the main party policy statement. Um, there was one reference back that told everyone they ought to read a book by Ilan Pape. It said, we can't believe this document has been written without any reference to Ilan Pape's wonderful books. That was defeated on a show of hands. And then there was a more uh, fundamentally troubling one, which um, said uh, that it tried to junk the concept of the two state solution and said that it didn't believe that was what Israelis and Palestinians wanted anymore. And that there were other ways of expressing self-determination. That went to a thing called a card vote, which is a, a formal ballot, that's a, which is when a vote's going to be closer, and was heavily defeated, mainly thanks to actually to, to the unions. So the unions are in a bad place on stuff around boycotts, but they're still um, are quite rigid in their support for a two-state solution, which is a good thing. Um, uh, and then I guess the other main Israel-related thing that happened was the... Uh, the LFI, um, Labour Friends of Israel uh, reception, uh, which um, Louise Elman spoke at, was very moving. And there were video messages from Keir Starmer because um, he was prepping his speech and didn't, in the era of COVID, 
his advisors didn't really want him going for into a room full of 500 odd unmasked people the night before doing a speech and um from Mero Mikaeli who was uh, obviously in Israel rather than rather than with us but it was a extremely well attended meeting with uh, yeah lot lots of uh impressive contributions actually Lisa Nandy the shadow foreign secretary made a particularly good speech thank you that that was a really comprehensive overview of of, of some of the, the 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 key points and takeaways perhaps if we can you know take a deeper dive into this um um the 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 pro corbin momentum organization of um you know, lobbying the delegates to vote against the Equality and Human Rights Commission report. We're talking about 25% of, mm-hmm. of, of, the, of the people who voted against it, which is not an insignificant number. And to a certain extent, there could be an argument made that, that there is this tale of two conferences. One, you know, group of people that, you know, overwhelmingly certainly you know three quarters did pass it but then you know 25 percent did not um which is troubling without question and brings um to light perhaps this idea of a disconnect between the current labor leadership and the pro-corbin um, you know, grassroots organizations. But of course, as you mentioned, a lot of these motions would make it very difficult for an individual like Corbyn to go back into power. But given, again, the results of this vote, what do you think that means for the party going forward? Well, the um, the interesting thing to note is that 25% is well below the kind of core vote they were getting on anything else. Okay. So there are people on the Corbynite left who broke with the Corbynite left and didn't follow the instruction from Momentum because they presumably care about tackling anti-Semitism. So I welcome that. I I don't think that the moderate wing of the party has some kind of exclusive claim to being the only people that care about the Jewish community. I actually think that yeah, tackling anti-Semitism should be something that, that everyone, left or right in the party, does. So I'm pleased that there's clearly some people that ordinarily would align with momentum but refuse to go along with them on this. Um, I think it's um, very sad, really, that that um, every time there is a, uh, you know, that, that we debate a major step forward in tackling anti-Semitism, um, it's like the labours of Sisyphus, that uh, this big stone is rolled to the top of the hill as the left bit of the party comes to terms with and gets its head round the existence of contemporary left-wing anti-Semitism. So they do the... Inter- the, the, yeah, they, the, 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 the gradu- First of all, they say, oh, it doesn't really exist, or and then they say it's only 0.5% or whatever, and it's not really a problem, and it's all a bit exaggerated. And they gradually realise it is a massive problem and that it's really affecting the Jewish community in the UK and come to terms with it. And then as soon as that's happened, the stone rolls back down to the bottom of the hill, and we're now at a bottom of the hill position where the organised Corbynite left is back to where they were about three years ago, saying it's all a scam and it's and actually they use yeah they're using terminology 
which is if you start going on about a scam and a witch hunt and stuff, you're beginning to get into anti-Semitic tropes about, oh, you know, the Jews are controlling the disciplinary process and I've made this all up to stop socialism happening, um, which is an alarming kind of conspiracist uh, mindset. Uh, very, very alarming to have that out there. Uh, these guys are increasingly marginalised in the party. I wouldn't see the the support for you know motion that I was really unhappy to see passed on Israel. That's a different question because you have people, including people on the moderate wing of the party, who are um, completely sensible on the question of tackling anti-Semitism, but they. Uh, are basing their judgment on a debate on Israel on a couple of two minute speeches where it's really presented in the most simplistic black and white terms of uh, you know, the export, uh, yeah, the, the, the oppression of the Palestinians and Israel as the bad guy. And they haven't done the same level of thinking about delegitimization of Israel as they have about the core issue of anti-Semitism. So there's like a quarter on one side who are bad on both, a quarter on the other side who are good on both, and then 50% in the middle who have got their heads around the anti-Semitism problem, but haven't understood uh, why it's yeah it's not good for peace or for or, or for achieving a two-state solution to be voting for stuff that goes on about ongoing Nakbas and uh, and apartheid and uh, speeches, but talking talking about settler colonialism. But the the real kind of hardcore. Um, of uh, uh, people that are in a bad place on the anti-Semitism debate are um, reducing in numbers through disciplinary action, through walking away, because often they were just a fan club for Jeremy Corbyn. So the idea of hanging around in a Labour Party where they're not in charge anymore, they're not really interested. They were in it for one guy or a series of causes that they agreed with him on and not for a, a wider long-term commitment. But I obviously don't want to pretend that a 25% vote on a fundamental thing about anti-Semitism is to be dismissed. Labour has a, still has a serious problem with these attitudes being out there, and um, it is taking a, it's going to take a long time to tackle. The, the, the incidences that have happened up till now there are 5,000 cases being worked through by a team of temps who have been brought in to triage 5,000 complaints that haven't been dealt with yet. And then it's going to take most of next year for those to be dealt with by disciplinary panels. Um, that's even before you get things that are happening in real time, including there will have been loads of stuff happening around the conference where people would have been going. Keir Starmer's doing this because he's a Zionist and is controlled by Jewish capitalists. That's like not a million miles off some of the tweets that I've seen. And some of them will be from people that are now not in the Labour Party. So that they're a problem in society with those attitudes, but they're not a disciplinary problem with the Labour Party anymore. But some of them will still have one... Um, one foot inside so it's still there there's still a a conflict that's fundamentally a, a, a yeah a, 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 a conflict that absolutely has to be one we can't tolerate in a um the main opposition party in the uk the existence of a kind of of a current that is either anti-semitic or has too many allies that are anti-semitic to do anything about it mm-hmm. um but but the the people that are trying to sort it out are winning and and made and and their position is a 
was significantly consolidated by this week's conference. I mean, yeah. the, the, prior to the conference, Keir Starmer's position was actually quite wobbly. Post the conference, he's people think he's played a blinder, and so his support amongst his own MPs and in the wider party has been consolidated. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, these, you know, pro-Palestine, anti-Israel motions, and, and also Lisa Nandy, who is the shadow foreign secretary. Yeah. And we saw that, that she quickly condemned uh, the, those motions. Can you talk a little bit about her role and her significance within the party when it comes to um, you know, foreign policy relating to Israel and Labour's position towards Israel. Yeah, so the conference doesn't, yeah, it can, the conference passes policy, but it's not the only part or even the primary part of Labour's policymaking process. Yeah. What's also going on is a thing called the National Policy Forum, which is a smaller group of people which has commissions. In this case, there's an international policy commission, a little committee of people that are hearing evidence from experts and uh, developing a kind of longer term policy through a more, frankly, more credible process of actually discussing it properly rather than just a few speeches uh, at a conference and a motion that's cobbled together late at night on the Sunday night of a conference. And um, so that's going to arrive, that that will arrive at a more deliberate, yeah, a, 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 a more grounded in reality position and things that are passed at conference have no guarantee of going into the manifesto, which is what you actually fight the election on, you know, the, the party platform. Um, and Lisa Nandy has made it clear that this stuff, the stuff that was in that motion will get nowhere near the manifesto. I mean, there's no way that it is going right. to be in there and be the policy of the Labour Party going into a general election. Um, she's the, she's the shadow foreign secretary so she is the party's lead spokesperson. Yeah, it's kind of up to her to set the direction. She has to take into account what the conference is saying, but it can't like in instruct her on, 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 on this stuff. And she's really, in terms of her politics, is an absolutely pivotal figure at arriving at a consensus position in the party because she is the immediate past chair of the Labour Friends of Palestine in the Middle East, which is quite a broad group, which includes um, some more moderate voices on this, but is a pro-Palestinian grouping. But she's a committed two-stater and she's against BDS. And I think, yeah, she's a genuinely passionate advocate for the Palestinians, but she wants to do that in a way that never goes anywhere near anti-Semitism and doesn't delegitimize Israel as a state or the rights uh to self-determination of of, 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 of of Jews and Israelis. Um, so she can kind of pull this off in a way that other people can't because no one can say, oh, she's, you know, uh, uh, some, some kind of diehard pro-Israel voice. She isn't. She's a pro-Palestinian critic of Israel, but one that does it in a measured and fair way to the extent that when she stood for the leadership against Starmer, the Jewish labor movement nominated her. And she described that as the honor of her life. I think it really, really meant a lot to her as a, someone with a background in, in, in pro-Palestinian activism, that she would be trusted by Zionists and Jews in the Labour Party that much, that they would see her as a fair interlocutor. And I think her number two at the, in the foreign affairs team 
So Wayne David, who's the Shadow Minister of State for the Middle East, I think he's a very balanced uh, and sensible voice on all of this as well. I mean, there's probably things that he would criticise Israel over that I would I, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with him. Uh, but I think these people they, they start with their hearts in the right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So looking at at these these motions, I know you mentioned that the rules have have changed in terms of how many can be brought forth. But um, the Israel Palestine motion was the seventh most important issue. Correct me if I'm wrong. Out of out, the- out, on the constituency side, yes, so out, the so seven out of ten, not seven out of twenty. Right. Right. Um, that were debated at the conference. But, you know, given all the problems that the UK is facing at the moment, were you surprised by, you know, how high that was or that it was even on, on, on the list? It's, I mean, the problem is that you, you're kind of taking a straw poll of very politically active people about what floats their boat. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's a long way off the list that... Um, an ordinary member of the public or even a Labour voter would, would come up with. It, 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 the fact that it scores quite high reflects the, that this is, this is something people in politics obsess about um, and that uh, it's something where, the, where, where yeah, the, the, the supporters of the Palestinian cause in the UK, the people around the PSC, have done a very good job of uh, yeah uh, uh, of, of campaigning as as is their right they get out there and they um get people talking about this on campuses in trade unions in local labor parties so that even if you didn't think watching the evening news that this was one of the top 10 issues um you would think it because the circles that you move in as a political activist it's always coming up it's like my local labor party um they bring uh, the support people from the uh, who, who support the Palestinian calls bring a motion about Palestine every single month. It's unremitting. And so if you were someone going to those meetings who was basing what did you think was important off what your colleagues were talking about, you would come to the conclusion that this was absolutely one of the most uh, important issues. And um Partly that's just yeah the sea that you swim in on the centre left. Partly we've we we've got to have a, a, a grassroots um, response to that. I mean, one of the re- we, we didn't manage to get a local Labour Party to send in a motion with a more balanced position. Uh, mm-hmm. So you immediately you're in the situation you arrive at conference and there is only one of the reasons you lose is there's only text from anti-Israel people. Well, we. To, to win, you can't just come in at the conference at the end of the process and hope that magically someone will have sent something in. You've got to work at getting out there and talking at local meetings, educating people, building networks, building structures, so that in a future year you'll turn up and there will be um, pro, you know, at least be you'll be on the pitch because there's some pro-Israel stuff uh, to debate as, uh, 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 as as well, and it's you know difficult to knock the PSC for doing what is their job, which is getting this issue up, 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 up the agenda and doing it through good old fashioned labor movement techniques of stand outside every meeting you can with a leaflet and yeah. be in every meeting you can with emotion. Yeah. 
So I know I've, I've taken up quite a bit of your time, but uh, this has been very informative for me and I have no doubt for our listeners. So perhaps we could end on day on one last question, which, you know, is, is a two part question. So <laughs> being a bit, a bit sneaky here, but do, do you think that Keir Starmer, I mean, we talked about this 75, 25%, um, uh, divide when it came to this, you know, crucial vote on, on anti-Semitism. Do you think he, he is able to heal? I don't know if you would call it a growing rift, but there certainly is a divide within the party itself. And at the same time, what are some of the specific changes, which I know you've touched on throughout this discussion, but that you would expect to see Starmer and the Labour Party taking um, in terms of combating anti-Semitism within the party over the next you know, year or two? So I don't think you can heal a riff with people that are, that are anti-Semitic or that don't think it's a problem. You've got to get them out whether that's if they actually break the rules you get them out through disciplinary means or they just realize that this isn't a party that they that they belong in um i think some of those people are redeemable through political education you know there were lots of people the previous time that the labor party became quite extreme in the 1980s some of the younger people that were involved ended up moving their politics and moving more towards the centre of the political spectrum and uh, quite dramatically so some of them ended up being in Tony Blair's cabinet exactly the same pattern as in the states that you know Bill and Hillary Clinton were McGovern activists in 1972 when they were student they were hippie student anti-war protesters or whatever and they end up running the the, the democratic leadership um, council yeah it's, it's like people move their politics uh, over time as their political education Develop. So not everyone oh, that's involved. Some might call it. Yeah, not everyone involved in the left is a is a write off, and particularly around this issue of anti-Semitism, I do think we can educate some of them. But some of them are uh, the older ones, particularly. Um, I came into the Labour Party when Corbyn became leader uh, with a hard baked set of very doctrinaire, hard left politics, and. Um, that we they 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 don't really belong in the Labour Party. These are people that were in the Socialist Workers or other far left parties. Um, Keir actually started out genuinely believing all this or the unity rhetoric from he didn't he wasn't lying when he talked about unity when he ran for leader. He thought that he could kind of put an arm around them and yeah they, he wanted to he wanted to deal with the anti semitism stuff not least because his wife and her family are jewish and his kids are jewish um and so it hurt personally it hurt him morally hurt him as a as a human rights lawyer that understands racism uh it, he he wanted to deal with it but he felt that he could deal with that and somehow on other issues put an arm around the left and build a kind of broad church they never gave him a chance they went on the attack against him straight away and all of their attack stuff has been about anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. whether that's um, Rebecca Long-Bailey precipitating her own resignation, whether that's the um, leaked report, uh, that the unpublished report that was leaked and the subsequent, all the pressure around the 
fooled inquiry into that report, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn sabotaging the day of the release of the EHRC stuff, um, whether it's the, their opposition to the prescription of, uh, of, of groups that are anti-Semitic or apologise for anti-Semitism. They, mm-hmm. they want a war on this. They've decided that the hill they are going to die on is denial of anti-Semitism. And so a leader can't make peace with that. They have to, they, they have to get those people out. Uh, and have to d- d- defeat them comprehensively in- internally because you'll never get, we'll never have an electable Labour Party all the time. That set of people with those attitudes um, remain a strong force. Uh, the second part of your question, uh, I have managed temporarily to forget, which was what is Labour doing to tackle it? Well, what's la- what Labour is doing to tackle it isn't Labour's choice anymore. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'll come to the thing that is done and that 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 is added on. What Labour's doing to tackle it is now mandated by the EHRC and by law. So the EHRC comes in with a a, 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 a report dem- that demands a certain set of actions, and then the National Executive Committee, which I sit on, has to write an action plan that the EHRC agrees. And um, we're now working our way through a series of timed uh, and very concrete steps that have to be taken. So the motion, the rule changes at the conference were legally mandated. This is not like Labour feels like doing some rule changes. Labour is told it has to do some rule changes. Mm-hmm. The political education that's been going on about anti-Semitism. So um, Jewish Labour movement have delivered um, online training at every level of the party from um, the leadership team and the staff at head office uh, uh, right the way down to ordinary activists it's very impressive the training the training that they deliver. Um, the we've speeded up the way in which we deal process disciplinary uh, cases and working our way uh, through the backlog. And we've appointed um, committees with representatives from the Jewish community, um, which you, you can find on the party website, who serves on those uh, to overview the way in which we handle all these cases. Uh, and and how we're dealing with it. So we're in territory where we're on very strict regulatory tram lines now, and the room for um, just kind of oh, the Labour Party wants to do this. It, 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 it can do more if it wants to. It can't do less because it's been breach of the law. The more that it's done, which best of my recollection, nowhere in in the HRC recommendations is the prescription uh, vote. So uh, the, and the National Executive Committee we prescribe, which means banned four organizations and three of them it was specifically to do with anti-semitism denial so labor against the witch hunt labor in exile network and a chris williamson's grouping called resist they're banned and that means if you are associated with those groups and can be seen proven to be a supporter of them you don't even need to go in front of a hearing you're automatically expelled from the labor party so that we've said morally these organizations can be nowhere near us mm-hmm. that is goes further than the EHRC, but it's also quite an effective measure because it speeds up the removal of those people. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it, it is an open and sh- it becomes like an open and shut uh, case. So I think that that's something uh, very firm that we've done that goes even beyond what the EHRC was suggesting. But I don't want to, again, as in the previous question, I don't want to pretend there is not a massive pile of this stuff this horrible stuff uh, to get through and a large number of people 
that either came in holding into the Labour Party from outside holding pretty vile views or have been radicalised during the process of the anti-Semitism crisis. Um, sadly, it's like something that once once you get these tropes out there, they multiply and multiply and multiply, and the conspiracist thinking is very attractive yeah. to, 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 to some people. It's an easy way to explain the world. Oh, there's a... Oh, we didn't win a general election. You don't have to think hard about we didn't win a general election because the public thought we were crazy. You go, oh, we didn't win a general election because there's a Jewish conspiracy that stopped us because we wanted to criticize Israel. Um, that is genuine, yeah, because that's the that's the easy way in, in politics is think there's nothing wrong with me. There must be some bad person pulling the strings um out there. It's also incredibly dangerous thinking because if you start to say, there could have been the promised land. There could have been a socialist paradise in Britain. Um, yeah, the 2019 general election and everything bad that's happening around poverty and climate change and social inequality uh, and even the fuel crisis. It's all happening because we were denied that victory. And who did the denying? Oh, the Zionists did it. That's that's very very dangerous stuff because you're you're getting into uh, the Jews being being the barrier between the workers achieving paradise and 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 the 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 misery that lots of people genuinely are experiencing in contemporary British society. So I I, I really don't underestimate the danger of some of these concepts, which sound laughable. We you know we sat there talking about it. It's difficult not to feel a bit giggly about, but, but it's not something to giggle about because this is imagery from the first room at Yad Vashem. Yeah. When you go in Yad Vashem and you turn, uh, uh, and you turn right into the room of the pre-Holocaust German culture. Which for our listeners who may not know is the Holocaust yeah. uh, memorial. Yeah. This, uh, the, 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 the whole, yeah. the portrayal of Jewish control of politics yeah. and finance and stuff it's 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 old stuff and it's very dark stuff yeah. and it's terrifying that this exists uh in, in left politics when it's actually concepts from the far right well it sounds like some very familiar rhetoric i have heard we have heard from a country across the pond <laughs> and a former president there which we know how that big lie turned out and the real damage it did to the democracy of uh, one of the UK's most important, if not, you know, the most important allies. So, well, Luke, thank you again for your time, for your insight. Um, ending on a bit of a depressing note, but it did seem to be a, a good conference overall as yeah. my takeaway from, from what you've experience what you've shared with us. So thank you again for your time and for your insight. Thank you.